A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This episode contains distressing themes and is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. On this episode of They Walk Among America, for the majority, it begins with a positive test. That clear line that lets you know your life is going to change forever. The excitement and anticipation builds over what feels like an eternity until expectant parents get to hold their new baby in their arms. However, for many, the journey to become parents is long and difficult. Instead of a joyous moment, people who struggle with fertility issues face numerous doctor appointments, medical procedures, hormonal treatments, invasive interventions an often insurmountable loss. Welcome to episode 31 of They Walk Among America, a joint production between the Law and Crime Podcast Network and They Walk Among Us, the award-winning true crime podcast. Infertility has been a prevalent issue for as long as humans have existed. Centuries ago, it was perceived to be a woman's problem, something they were burdened with as the result of some unknown misdeed. Being married to someone who could not bear children was thought of as reasonable grounds for divorce, which only heightened the stigma surrounding fertility. Before the conception of modern medicine, People would seek out treatments to help them have children, such as potions or prayers. In the late 1700s, Lazaro Spallanzani began to study conception and, through experiments, proved that an embryo was created by the merging of an egg and sperm. He began to perform artificial insemination procedures on dogs and was successful in proving that the method could result in pregnancy. In the mid-1800s, this practice began to be performed on humans, and numerous advances in assisted reproductive technology have followed. The innovative methods used explored the possibility that infertility could also affect men. In 1884, 
Dr. William Pankhurst performed the first documented successful artificial insemination using donor sperm. After determining that the patient's husband was infertile, Dr. Pankhurst used a sperm sample from a medical student to impregnate the unconscious woman without her or her husband's knowledge. Although the doctor told the woman's husband the truth about their baby boy's parentage, they decided against informing the mother. It was only when one of the medical students who had been present published an article in the medical world, the truth became public. It seems unimaginable that such an unethical practice would ever be repeated, but there have been a number of cases where fertility doctors have secretly used donor sperm to impregnate their patients. Dr. Cecil Jacobson operated Reproductive Genetics Inc. in Vienna, Virginia between 1976 and 1988. Jacobson had been trained in obstetrics and had no advanced training in infertility medicine, but he had begun to practice in the clinic anyway. His main work was on amnesiosynthesis, a procedure that can be used to detect birth defects. However, infertility treatment was a much more lucrative field. Jacobson performed artificial inseminations and hormone treatment on his patients. One of the treatments used was the injection of human chorionic gonadotropin, also known as HCG. The hormone found in the urine and blood of pregnant women can be used to stimulate ovulation in women with fertility issues. The presence of HCG in a woman's body can explain symptoms associated with pregnancy, such as breast tenderness, delayed menstruation and nausea. The treatments were believed to be incredibly successful as a result, and Jacobson falsely confirmed at least 80 pregnancies with tests designed to detect the presence of HCG. Furthermore, Jacobson kept up the pretense that his patients were pregnant by misrepresenting sonograms or telling them that he could see the unborn baby sucking their thumb. When he could no longer support the claims that his treatment had been a success, Jacobson told his patients they had miscarried. Some women had suffered a miscarriage before, and when they inquired about the need for a dilation and curatage procedure, that removed the non-viable fetus, Jacobson told them that the baby would simply be resorbed into the body. Many of the patients, heartbroken by the loss, were convinced that Jacobson's methods had resulted in a pregnancy and continued to attend his practice. Others became concerned and sought a second opinion. In November 1987, Another gynaecologist in Virginia examined two of Jacobson's patients who reported what he had told them. The doctor knew that the women had never been pregnant and reported Jacobson to the Virginia State Board of Medicine. In early 1989, the Federal Trade Commission filed consumer fraud charges against Dr. Cecil Jacobson. Jacobson had misrepresented his success as a fertility specialist in order to continue treating hundreds of women 
who had spent thousands of dollars each on the treatments he offered. Civil lawsuits were also filed by ex-patients. One woman had been told that her chances of becoming pregnant had been greatly diminished due to the treatments Jacobson had used. Fourteen women filed a lawsuit seeking over $56 million in damages. The board issued a $7,000 fine, and Jacobson agreed to cease practicing and refund $250,000 to patients. In late November 1991, a grand jury returned a 53-count indictment against Cecil Jacobson, charging him with 33 counts of mail fraud, 10 counts of wire fraud, 4 counts of travel fraud, and 6 counts of perjury. The perjury counts were from false statements he made in court proceedings. The indictment also stated that Jacobson had used his own sperm sample in artificial inseminations and fathered at least seven children. Jacobson pleaded not guilty to the charges and told reporters outside of the hearing, I don't understand the indictment. I don't understand for practicing medicine. I'm going to serve 285 years. I can't comprehend that. My whole goal was to help people have a normal child. Speaking to the Washington Post, Jacobson said that he had used his own sperm on a few occasions because he knew that his semen was safe. He had not slept with anyone other than his wife for 35 years. Within a month, the number of children suspected to be fathered by the self-proclaimed baby maker had increased tenfold to 75. Some of the patients believed the sample being used came from their husbands. Jacobson claimed that he only used his own sample with the patient's consent in order to protect them from potential AIDS exposure from the untested donor samples. In 1992, the case went to trial before a federal jury in Virginia. Eleven patients or their husbands testified that Jacobson had promised them that he would find a perfect donor that met their specifications, only to find out that the doctor had never used a donor at all. All of the witnesses were given pseudonyms to protect their identities. Mrs Green said that just three days after her daughter was born, she noticed a resemblance between her newborn and the doctor who had helped her conceive. She explained that her daughter had been diagnosed with Down syndrome. When she told Jacobson, he informed her that chromosome tests were a routine part of his donor selection criteria. Mrs G was told that she was pregnant for a third time during a consultation with Jacobson but racked with fear following two miscarriages, she went to another doctor to have it confirmed. That doctor told her there was no baby. Mrs G testified, We both looked at him and said, What do you mean no baby? It's dead. I've lost another one. He said, No, you're not pregnant. And you probably have never been pregnant. For two years, Mrs. G and her husband had been trying for a baby under Dr. Jacobson's care. 
They spent thousands of dollars and were told that they had been successful in conceiving three times, only to be devastated when Jacobson told them they had miscarried. Their treatment was covered by their health insurance, which constituted fraud on Jacobson's part, as he had lied. Assistant U.S. Attorney Randy Bellows said Dr. Cecil Jacobson was driven by greed, for money and notoriety in his field, and that he had betrayed the trust of vulnerable couples. Bellows told the jury he knowingly led these women to bond with babies he knew didn't exist. The defence claimed that the defendant's only flaw was that he cared too much. Anything he did was to help his patients achieve their dreams of becoming parents. Defence attorney James R. Tate said that a doctor using his own sperm was not against the law, and according to Jacobson, he did not realise that HCG treatments would lead to false positives on HCG pregnancy tests. Another patient, Mrs. M., testified that Jacobson had advised her to undergo artificial insemination, after which she should have sex with her husband. Her partner needed to ensure she had an orgasm, because according to the doctor, it would help with conception. Nancy Witten worked as a secretary for Dr. Jacobson from late 1980 until mid-1982. She testified that she never saw any sign of sperm donors in the office. Witten said that prior to artificial insemination appointments, which were at least twice a week, she would see Jacobson take a vial into the restroom. Medical testimony came from experts in the field to contradict Jacobson's claims that he did not intend to dupe his patients. Dr. Glenn Broadstein from the University of California had conducted research on the effect of HCG by injecting non-pregnant women with the hormone and having them take pregnancy tests. They all tested positive. Dr. Broadstein said that he found it impossible to believe that Jacobson did not know that HCG injections would result in positive pregnancy tests even if the patient was not pregnant. The doctor testified, this was a purposeful pattern of deceit on these women. He was tricking people into thinking they were pregnant when they were not. To me, it's beyond belief. Dr. Cecil Jacobson's unorthodox methods were no secret amongst his peers. Dr. Cole Lord, an obstetrician, testified that he had confronted Jacobson a decade earlier after two of his patients reported five pregnancies and subsequent miscarriages while under his care. Dr. Lord said that he had called Jacobson after two patients told him that Jacobson had informed them the fetus had been resorbed and Jacobson had responded by saying, "'You don't know what you're talking about.' I've always been ahead of the rest of the people. Dr. Mary Damewood, an infertility specialist at John Hopkins Hospital, had reviewed Jacobson's records and found that the doctor was operating a scheme in order to make as much money as possible from his patients. Dr. Damewood told the jury, 
the number of patients that have failed pregnancies and these basically unheard of resorptions was just staggering. The women in the courtroom were just the tip of the iceberg. Many witnesses who had been patients of Jacobson testified that they had experienced several supposed miscarriages while attending Jacobson's practice. One witness was told she was pregnant six times in a 13-month period, only to be told weeks later that she had lost the pregnancy. When she suggested another hormonal treatment, Jacobson laughed it off and patronised her by saying she had been reading those women's magazines again. The patient later used the hormonal treatment she had suggested and got pregnant within a month. A paternity testing expert testified that he was 99.99% certain that Jacobson had fathered the 15 children tested, but the defence tried to discredit the evidence by asking if it would be possible to distinguish between Jacobson and a twin if he had one, which he did not. Dr Cecil Jacobson testified in his own defence and denied ever telling a patient they were pregnant when they were not. He told the court, You never set up a false pregnancy. It's the one thing you are guaranteed to be destroyed with. You would never do anything as dumb as that. Dr Jacobson also maintained that it was possible for a fetus to be resorbed into the mother's body, despite testimony from several experts that said it was not. He admitted to using his own semen when he worked at George Washington University Hospital, as women would be ready for an insemination, but their potential donors did not turn up. When asked if he believed there was anything wrong with using his own sperm to impregnate his patients, Jacobson replied, Absolutely not, or I would not have done it. The doctor later told reporters, As God is my witness, I have never harmed or purposefully done anything wrong with my patients. I've never lied to my patients. The defence called Jacobson a medical pioneer who acted out of love and a desire to help people. Defence attorney James Tate told the jury, This man is not evil. They've taken a couple of mistakes that man made a year and they've multiplied it into a federal case. The attorney said it had been the government that destroyed the patient's lives when they informed them of the source of the sample used. Tate said to the court, They've got a child, a healthy child, and until the anonymity was broken, they were absolutely happy, all of them. The defence tried to portray Dr Cecil Jacobson as a dedicated caregiver who just wanted to help people. However, the prosecution argued that Jacobson's achievements did not negate his crimes. The prosecutor said, Because a person doesn't rob every bank, doesn't mean he didn't rob the bank he is charged with robbing. After Jacobson denied knowing that HCG injections would result in false positives on pregnancy tests, 
the prosecutor Randy Bellows held up a vial of HCG for the jury and told them, Dr. Jacobson can tell any woman he wants she's pregnant as long as she has enough of this in her system. Bellows said that Jacobson had allowed women to leave his office believing they had received the greatest news of their lives when they were not pregnant, and as a result, they wasted their childbearing years in his care. Bellows told the court, What they've lost, they've lost forever. After four days of deliberations by the jury, Cecil Jacobson was found guilty of 46 counts of fraud and six counts of perjury. The jury had been told that Jacobson, who dubbed himself the baby maker, had fathered up to 75 children without his patient's knowledge or consent. There was no law regarding the unethical practices performed by Jacobson, but he was convicted of wire fraud on the basis that he lied to patients over the phone when he made appointments, discussed treatment plans, misrepresented the procedures, and lied about the parentage of their children. Jacobson was also convicted of mail fraud because he sent bills for the services he claimed to provide and travel fraud as some patients had crossed state lines to attend appointments in Virginia. Following the verdicts, Cecil Jacobson said, I spent my life trying to help women have children. It's a shock to be found guilty of trying to help people. I certainly did not willfully or intentionally harm anyone. I did not break any law. At the sentencing hearing, the prosecutor told the court, Dr. Jacobson knowingly led these women to believe they were pregnant when they weren't and told them their babies had died. I don't think this court has ever had a white-collar crime case where the victims suffered more grievous injuries. Cecil Jacobson informed the judge that he was totally unaware of the anguish, anger and hate he had caused and he was deeply sorry. The trial judge sentenced Jacobson to five years in federal prison. He was allowed to remain free on bond pending an appeal, but Jacobson was ordered to pay a fine of $75,000 and restitution amounting to $39,000. After he had exhausted all of his appeals in 1994, Jacobson was sent to a federal prison camp. Cecil Jacobson died in 2021, but the shady practices he was proven to have used have been seen worldwide in many similar cases. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, 
people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Without a confession or a witness statement, the crime of fertility fraud was likely to never be exposed until at-home DNA testing kits became more popular. Another physician who used their own semen was Dr. Gerald Mortimer, who worked at the Obstetrics and Gynecology Associates practice in Idaho Falls. In 2018, a lawsuit was filed against Mortimer by ex-patients Mr. Fowler and Miss Ashby. The couple had struggled to conceive a child after years of trying between 1973 and 1978. They had inquired about adoption, but the waiting list was up to four years long, so they decided to try fertility treatment before going down the adoption route. Mr Fowler and Miss Ashby went to Dr Mortimer. He diagnosed Mr Fowler with a low sperm count and Mrs Ashby with having a tipped uterus. Both conditions made it difficult for them to conceive. The doctor recommended artificial insemination following prescriptions of Clomid. The treatment increased Mr Fowler's sperm count from 5 million to 35 million, but they were still unable to conceive. Dr Mortimer suggested using donor semen mixed with Mr Fowler's semen at a ratio of 85% from Mr Fowler's sample and 15% from the donor. The doctor assured them that it would increase their chances and he would find a suitable match so they would never know whose sperm had resulted in the pregnancy. The procedure worked and they had a baby girl in May 1980. Two years later, they were blessed a second time. This pregnancy was a natural conception, and as a result, a little boy was born. Dr Mortimer continued to be their primary obstetrician. It was not until years later, when their daughter submitted her DNA to Ancestry.com, that she realised that she matched a sample submitted by Dr Mortimer. Mr Fowler and Miss Ashby's daughter was unaware that she was donor-conceived. After she confronted her mother according to legal documents, her mother felt like, quote, she had been raped by her doctor. Dr Mortimer initially denied the accusation that he had used his own semen, but he later confessed to using his own sample a number of times during the three decades he worked at the practice. The legal summary reads, 
Dr Mortimer does not have specific recall about inseminating Miss Ashby or any other particular patient with his own sperm. Dr Mortimer recalls generally, however, that on occasion he would donate his own sperm when no other sperm donors were available to inseminate his patients who presented to his office and were ovulating, and the patients had requested an anonymous donor. Dr Mortimer claimed that he had stopped using his own semen when DNA testing became more common. He had only used his own sample, quote, out of concern for his patients and his personal desire to help them conceive. Mortimer tried to have a civil lawsuit against him for medical malpractice dismissed by claiming at the most all he had caused was a wrongful pregnancy where the child was healthy but unwanted and unplanned. The presiding judge said that what was unwanted and unplanned, quote, was Dr Mortimer's use of his own semen to artificially inseminate Ashby without her knowledge or consent. The court found that the plaintiffs should be granted damages for the pain and suffering sustained as a result of Mortimer's unethical practice, but the case was dropped in 2021, likely as it was settled out of court. In December 2018, Maya Boring got an at-home DNA test from Ancestry.com in a bid to learn more about her family history, such as what country her lineage could be traced back to. Instead of realising she had some unexpected links to a foreign country, she received a message from another user on the site who asked her if it was possible they could be half-siblings. After speaking with her sister and parents, Maya discovered that her mother had undergone artificial insemination at Women's Healthcare in Grand Junction, Colorado, during 1979 and 1984. Maya's parents had attended the practice under the care of Dr. Paul Jones. Dr. Jones advised the couple that artificial insemination using fresh sperm from an anonymous donor would give them the best chance to conceive. Mr. and Mrs. Emmons had longed for a child, and they believed that the innovative method of reproductive treatment would give them the baby they dreamed of. Mrs. Emmons was told to monitor her menstrual cycle and temperature to determine when she was ovulating, so the insemination had a greater chance of working. At their appointments... Dr. Jones informed his patients that he had obtained fresh sperm from a medical student, but Mr. Emmons could not be in the room while the procedure was being performed. Using a medical device, the doctor would extract some sperm from the sample and insert it past the patient's cervix. After the procedure was completed... Dr. Jones instructed Mr. and Mrs. Emmons to go home and have sexual intercourse so they could not tell if their child was conceived naturally or by the donor sperm. The procedure was a success and Maya was born in 1980. A few years later, Mr. and Mrs. Emmons returned to Dr. Jones to have the same procedure performed. A second daughter, Tani, was born in August 1985. 
as they had never been sure whether their daughters had been conceived naturally or from the donor sperm. The Emmons did not disclose that they had undergone fertility treatment until Meyer asked them if there was a possibility that she had a different biological father. In total, the Emmons had seven artificial insemination procedures performed by Dr. Jones. Meyer and Tani discovered through an online DNA website that they were related to at least six others. They had all been conceived after their parents had gone to Dr. Jones. Through genealogy websites, the newly discovered half-siblings were able to uncover a genetic match to one of Dr. Jones's relatives, confirming their worst fears that they had been conceived using their mother's physician's sperm. A lawsuit filed by several families in 2019 accused Jones and the Women's Health Clinic of using Jones's sperm in a number of artificial inseminations on at least 12 women between 1976 and 1997. There are at least 17 children genetically linked to Jones at present. Jones surrendered his medical license once the allegations were publicised. The lawsuit accused him of fraud, battery, medical negligence, lack of informed consent and extreme and dangerous conduct. Many of the families settled the case out of court in 2022. The jury found Jones was liable for the charges as he negligently failed to obtain consent to use his own sperm sample. He fraudulently claimed the sample was from an anonymous donor and he committed battery when he used his own sperm without consent. Almost $9 million in damages were awarded to the plaintiffs in the civil lawsuit. Despite a court order DNA test proving that Jones fathered the children involved in the lawsuit, he has denied any wrongdoing. Paul Jones has not provided the donor-conceived children with his medical history so they can know if they are predisposed to any health conditions. Eve Wiley was born in Nacogdoches, Texas in 1988 to her parents Margot and Doug. Doug passed away when Eve was seven years old, and almost ten years later, Eve realised that he was not her biological father. She was looking through her mother's emails and found messages containing information about sperm donations. After speaking with her mother, Eve discovered that she was donor-conceived, and her mother had kept records of her care. She could trace her biological father, Donor 106. Donor 106 was a man named Steve Scholl. Despite the almost 18 years they spent unaware of each other's existence, they quickly bonded and became like any other father and daughter. In fact, Eve lovingly called Steve Dad, and her children call him Papa. He officiated at her wedding, and they spent the holidays together. Eve submitted her DNA to 23andMe and Ancestry.com in order to see if there was any genetic reason her son was having health issues. 
he was genetically predisposed to celiac disease, something that was not inherited from Eve's mother Margot, or who she believed was her father, Steve Scholl. In May 2018, Eve was notified on Ancestry.com that she had been matched to half-siblings, and on 23andMe, she had a first cousin. Eve's half-siblings were also donor-conceived and did not know the donor's identity, so they asked their newfound cousin if he had any links to their birthplace. Their cousin told them that they had an uncle living there, Dr. Kim McMorris. Dr. McMorris was Eve's mother's fertility doctor. He also treated her half-siblings' mothers. Dr. McMorris had used his own semen to inseminate his patients instead of using the sperm they had chosen from donor 106, Steve Scholl. McMorris has admitted to being Eve's biological father, but adamantly denies any wrongdoing. He continues to practice as a fertility specialist and obstetrician. Without any legal avenue to pursue any semblance of justice other than to claim damages in a civil lawsuit, Eve has lobbied for legislative change in a number of states to make it a criminal offence for a doctor to commit fertility fraud. According to Jody Manderia, a law professor and expert on these types of cases, quote, When a physician masturbates to produce a sample in one examination room, and then immediately uses that sample to inseminate a patient in another room. The boundaries are blurred between the clinical procurement of a biological sample and the sexual touching associated with masturbation, orgasm and ejaculation. Insemination fraud introduces the gravest conflict of interest into the physician-patient relationship. The physician engaging in such acts exploits his patient's ignorance, trust, intense desire to conceive and vulnerability. Essentially, the physician interposes himself in the marital relationship in lieu of a sperm donor who is supposed to resemble the intended patients. In committing illicit inseminations, physicians also breach other ethical obligations including the duty to disclose all relevant medical information to patients and to deal honestly with them. In the deepest sense, the physicians breach the first tenant of the Hippocratic Oath, first do no harm. A physician who impregnates patients with his own sperm is doing something far beyond performing a medical procedure to help her conceive. Rather, this physician penetrates his patients in at least three ways. The first penetration comes when the physician inserts medical equipment, including a speculum and disposable insemination catheter, through a patient's cervix into her uterine cavity, injecting his sperm specimen. Fifty-four patients have consented to this procedure, but not to its performance with the physician's sperm. The second penetration comes when the physician's biological material joins with the patient's, implants into her uterine lining, and forms a placenta, reaching her physiological barriers in the most intimate way possible. The third penetration, more socio-cultural than physiological, follows from the child's birth. 
one of the most notorious cases of fertility fraud and the subject of the Netflix documentary Our Father, is Dr. Donald Klein. Klein had used his own sperm in artificial inseminations throughout the 70s and 80s in Indianapolis. His deception was exposed when his patient's children submitted their DNA to 23andMe, and since then almost 100 people have been identified as Klein's biological children. Klein has settled in several civil lawsuits, and at least three more cases are pending. Klein was charged with felony obstruction of justice and pleaded guilty in 2017 because he had lied to the Attorney General when he denied the accusations against him. Legislation has since been passed in a number of states to prevent doctors from being able to commit fertility fraud. Still, the dozens who have already been exposed will likely never face criminal charges directly related to their conduct. This is for a number of reasons. In most cases, the fraud is not exposed until decades later, when the donor-conceived person is an adult who researches their family history. The passage of time not only allows the doctors to destroy their medical records from the date of conception, but it also exceeds the statute of limitations for any crimes which they can be charged. Because the semen was placed inside a victim during a medical procedure that they had consented to, the act does not constitute battery or rape by legal definition. Eve Wiley has worked on passing a bill in Texas relating to fertility fraud which makes the act a criminal offence, namely sexual assault. While her biological father, who was her mother's primary fertility doctor, continues to practice medicine, Eve has worked to ensure that other patients will not suffer as she and her family have. Victims are also given more time to pursue charges, allowing them two years from the date the act is discovered before they can report it. In Texas, the crime is now punishable by up to two years in prison. Although Dr. Paul Jones could not face criminal charges in Colorado, the state has approved a bill that would require fertility clinics to keep their records and ensure that donors are not used for more than 25 families. The bill also creates a civil cause of action and criminal offence for any healthcare provider that uses a donation that has not been explicitly approved by a consenting patient. After the Donald Klein case, Indiana enacted legislation in 2019 that made way for civil charges to be brought for fertility fraud, allowing the victims to receive up to $10,000 in damages. The statute of limitations on the action is within 10 years of the child's 18th birthday, 20 years after the procedure, or when they have enough evidence, physical or a confession, to bring the suit to court. A number of other states are considering legislation that would offer more protection to donor-conceived people and patients of fertility doctors to ensure they get the appropriate and exact care they agree to. There needs to be something to hold accountable those who betray their patients' trust when they are at their most vulnerable. 
Law Professor Jody Maderia poignantly articulates the magnitude of this deception by saying, It is particularly despicable when such unscrupulous physicians, like other predators, use patients' desperation as an excuse for illicit inseminations. For example, at Cecil Jacobson's trial, his defence attorney said, If Cecil made any mistakes, it was in losing his objectivity and trying so hard to get patients pregnant. Similarly, Donald Klein stated that he felt he was helping women because they really wanted a baby. These are the same defences that misogynists proffer to justify sexual harassment, when abusers blame victims and present themselves as the injured parties. These assertions hijack vulnerability and commonly re-injure those who are already suffering. But somehow, it has proved slower to acknowledge these gross violations when they involve reproductive care. No physician to date has been criminally prosecuted for perpetrating insemination fraud. Moreover, this deception label reinforces damaging and inaccurate stereotypes of people struggling to conceive. When we assume that someone who desperately wants children would do anything to conceive, we tend to doubt and devalue their agency. We regard them as paralysed or pathological broken souls who can be healed only by a baby. This episode was researched and written by Eileen McFarlane. Editing by Brad Maybe. Script editing, additional writing, illustrations and production direction by Rosanna Fitton. Narration, narration editing and production direction by Benjamin Fitton. For more on our series and notes on this episode, please visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com. And for more on the Law and Crime Podcast Network, please visit lawandcrime.com slash podcasts. This has been They Walk Among America. We will be back in two weeks' time. Thank you for listening. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.